We're kind of in between a design build firm and an architect. We are drawing the, the homes from conceptual elevations, we, we do floor plans, and then we basically work with architects to stamp and prepare engineered drawings for these homes. That's my favorite part of the design process. With a blank sheet of paper, walking a job site, seeing how the topography changes, figuring out solar issues and directional elevations and trying to like build a home on what I think would be the most amazing positioning with the right kind of shadowing and everything and just kind of design something from scratch. Welcome to episode 77. I'm Brad Levitt and you're listening to the AFT Construction Podcast. This week's episode, we're fortunate to host Christian Daw of Christian Daw Design. And Christian has an amazing background. He actually has a legal background, a lawyer, and had worked in construction, flipping homes, and had a passion for design and architecture, and then decided to make that leap to start his own design and architectural firm. And he actually has architectural designers that work for him, and we dive into that in the conversation. He's developed an amazing company. They've really grown amazingly fast in the last couple of years. And so we spoke about his business and growth and hiring, managing cash flow, and especially just his reputation and what he's done with social media. He has a tremendous Instagram platform and he's leveraged that to help build his business. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Enjoy. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast and I am Brad Levitt and today we are fortunate to have Christian Daw with owner of Christian Daw Design coming here from Washington DC. So welcome Christian. Hi. Now Christian has an amazing story. We've been connected for a few years now through actually Instagram and I've been a huge fan of what Christian's doing and his ambition and it's very interesting because he has background as a lawyer. He's, he's, you know, a legal background, and now he's crushing the interior design. So let me ask you this, Christian. You know, do you feel that having a legal background helped you and prepared you for what you're doing now? Prepared me? No. Um, helped me. Um, I think it's one of those professions that helps you no matter what you're doing. Um, it's uh, a way to think about problems and, and solve them in a... Um, a very straightforward manner um, and also requires some level of creativity. Um, but that being said, do I look at my uh, my legal background as something that set me up for my current career? No. I would, if I had to do it all over again, I would be an architect or go straight into design. Granted, I do think um, like everything happens for a reason and I'm grateful for those experiences, but no. So, so I guess what made that pivot? I mean, you, this is a big change, right? Anyone knows if they've done the legal end of it, you know, law school and so forth, you know, that's a big transition to say, hold on, time out. We're going to go into design. I know I'm talented. I have an eye for it. You know, what, what really, I guess, made, made you make that change? So it was less of like a 180 departure into a new industry and more of a return home. Um, I, when I first graduated school, I mean, my, my obsession since I was a little kid has been homes and architecture and design, but I never really um, understood that it was a, um, like a possible career, a money-making endeavor, um, a profession. Um, I didn't grow up around interior decorators or designers, and I didn't see that as a like a real career, I thought it was like my friend's mom fluffed pillows or um, picked, <laughs> picked, picked a throw blanket from like the local like gift shop and put it on her sofa. But that was my like extent of knowledge. So it wasn't until I was um, in college where I started thinking that this would at least be a short-term way to make small amounts of money. Yeah, so um, before law school, I was flipping houses and that was a, um, a really fun experience, but I looked at it more as a diversion and kind of a way to spend a gap year or a couple um, before going to law school. But when I um, kind of progressed in my life, I realized that there was a lot more more to that industry and there were ways to make money and make a living. And um, while I was doing law um, and, and the business side of law, but still law, I was able to um, kind of part-time make that transition and then after a while I was making more money doing design than I was law so it was a, a simple and easy choice for me yeah well it makes sense I mean you know what, what's different is you're talking about two different businesses though right you have the the legal business you know which is also a fee business you know you're you're billing per hour you're tracking that you know in some ways it's similar to design although design's a little bit more open because you could build by square foot you could build by hour 
you know, there's furniture involved, there's markup, you know, relationships there. So, so it's a whole different avenue. So how did you really manage that learning process? Did you mentor with other designers? Did you speak to other designers to at least understand, hey, here's my value, here's my capability, and this is what I should be charging? Yeah, so, well, to go back to what you said when you first asked that question, I wasn't billing hourly when I was working in the legal profession. I was a salaried employee and um, kind of working in-house for a um, for a nonprofit. Um, but so now being a designer is the first time I've actually st- had to bill by the hour and down to the 15-minute increment. Um, so that's been a little bit of transition, but to get to kind of my business model, I definitely have been shepherded through the process, shepherded through the process by so many different um, people. I'm not afraid to ask questions. I will Google anything, but there are definitely a couple really amazing women out there who have um, kind of shown me the ropes, so to speak, in terms of um, how this business is run, shared contracts, shared um, proposals, how they how they work, vendors, contacts. So it's been really helpful to like definitely debts of gratitude are owed to quite a few. Yeah. And I, I can relate to that. I mean, going back to that though, when you speak about the contract side that I was curious about that because part of what I do as a general contractor, there's a lot of legal aspects to what I do, right? I need to have a good lawyer, good legal representation. You know, I'm writing contracts, I have subcontracts, I have insurance. I mean, there's so many items here. It's, it's not much different for the designer though. I mean, you still have to have contracts with your clients you know, you, you're at risk, you know, with some of your suppliers and install and, you know, there's still that level. So with the contract side, are you, did you work with a network of designers to help you the contract? Did you write those yourself with your legal background or was it a combination of both? Um, I wrote them myself, um, but I definitely made sure the clauses I included were um, those that were, um, I, I reviewed other people's contracts, made sure I hit all of their prime points, but I wrote it myself. It was, um, I, I always see an opportunity to improve everything. So, <laughs> so um, it was, there were definitely some areas that I wanted to protect myself. But I also wrote a full form contract, ended up never using it even once, and it switch, switched to like a letter of agreement that I think um, gives a more palatable approach, but still all the same legal protections, um, but is just more conversational and friendly and um, is a little more easy a little more easily digested by my clients. So out of curiosity, I'm curious how many contracts you have. And the reason I say that, because on my side, I think we have eight, right? And it really depends if it's re- residential, commercial, long form, short form, really the valuation of the contract, whether with a client or the trade partner or supplier, right? There's so many variations, you know, how, is that similar to design? There are definitely variations. I don't use my long form contract. Um, I I have it there and I've only had one client who I really thought it was important to have a eight to 10 page contract. And a lot of that was because their lawyer kept on adding things. Um, But most (laughs) of ours are um, like a three and a half to four page, a version of our three to three and a half to four page letter of agreement outlining. We do minimum expenditures and things like that. So there's a fair bit of explanation as to how that works but otherwise it's mostly the same thing we just change a few key areas depending on the project yeah so then from the contract side now let's think about just the business model because if if i'm not mistaken you had your first hire a year and a half two years ago and now there's five of you and so this is a quick transition i'm going legal i'm going design now i'm a team of five you know how how have you managed the hiring process of bringing on people so fast Understanding scope of work, responsibility, and delegating. So, I mean, how did I manage it? Um, still flying by the seat of my pants and <laughs> and modifying. Um, my first, my first two, I, I hired an intern with my first designer hire. So technically, there were two two additional bodies in our office, and um, quickly that the intern turned into like my right hand and was basically like office managing and became a full-time employee within like 60 days. And that first designer, because I did not know what I was doing when I was hiring, um, ended up, we ended up parting ways on amicable terms, but it was not the right fit. Um, I've since been a lot more diligent in my hiring process. And um, there's definitely a lot more back and forth. I've instituted um, like, 
project-based application. So I actually give a sample project something that I thought was challenging over the last year um, and give them like photos of photos of the rooms, measurements, um, client profiles, like client profiles, um, like in, like imagined client profiles and like hypothetical issues and just have them approach it like they would normally. They do a full full design process and I can see how they approach a problem. So I've really taken it from just being like a nonchalant hiring process to being something that's a few weeks long and um, really in depth. And I feel like it's, it's easy to jump right into a working relationship. And then that's for the designers. So they're including myself, there are five designers, but then we've got support staff and the support staff is all um, part-time or contract. And that makes it easy in case we need to pivot or expand um like we just went to a part-time um bookkeeper from when one we were using as uh on a contract basis so we've been um we're still learning and still growing and um but it's been it's been pretty good so far knock on wood yeah it's interesting you know it's funny because this is twice in a week that i've heard this strategy and i I gotta be honest i've never heard this so you mentioned that if you're looking to hire a designer Essentially, what you're doing is you're having an audition, if you will. So you're going to send them the project, the, spo- the, the specifications, you know, or some of them at least, and let them design and come up with, you know, a design, a detail, how they're going to format this, design it, CAD, whatever it may be. And then they're essentially presenting to you as the client so that you can see their capability. Yeah, you, you really get to test every single um, important element. You get to see how they approach problems, some of which are semi-unsolvable. Um, you get to see how they utilize um, technical equipment and software and um, what their presentation style is. It are they, are they a messy creative or are they really analytical and great at presentation? Or are they somewhere in the middle? You get to see the breadth of knowledge in terms of vendors and how they would approach finance and budgeting. You get to see how well attuned they are to taking instruction. Like we definitely, just like in any test, will include very... Um, pointed and directed um, questions and um, just directives that you want them to do and but they're not like bolded and highlighted and you're not driving the point home you just want to see how good of a reader are they are they paying attention to everything are they reading between the lines and then ultimately you get to see how they present verbally and um, because I always ask them to present it's been over zoom over the last several times but to present their design to me as if i'm a client and see their kind of bedside manner so to speak i i love that and it's funny because i just heard somebody before that i was speaking with and his hiring process was very similar what he does he said look we have our vision as a company it's on my website you know we're very clear on what our company performs and they're not in construction or design but when someone applies for the job what he requires is that they do a video they do a video showing you know, what the company's culture is, what the direction, the product, whatever it may be, and how they can build that. Like they're envisioned, if they're to come work for the firm in three to five years, how they're gonna either add to the collection, they're gonna expand it. And and I thought that was interesting that instead of just a resume where it could someone could say, hey, Christian, you know, I'm great at Inkscape, I'm great at Revit, you know, I'm good at Chief Architect, you know, or, or some of the other Microsoft Suite items. Well, let's see it. Let's see your ability to design you know, and render something. And then as you mentioned, bedside manner, I mean, there's nothing more important. You mentioned early in the conversation, the communication aspect. So that legal background, the communication is huge because that's what we do. And if you have a weak link in regard to communication, that can create some issues for you, you know, as the owner. Hiring, you know, as you have your team, you've brought them on, you know, now's the challenge when you hire someone, do we have the cash flow? Do we understand the billing? You know, am I billing enough? You know, how did you feel when did you get to the point where you turned that corner where you felt, I know what I need to charge. I know the amount of projects that I need to have on board. You know, I understand the cash flow or my nut to crack, if you will, so that now I have to pay these people, right? They're going to be expecting a paycheck. I need to make sure everything's lined up. So when did you get comfortable bringing on, you know, five people and now making sure the billing aligns with that? So my first couple of years of um, starting this company, I was doing, um, like two jobs at once. So I was effectively working in my free time as a designer and in my daytime as a lawyer. And I was able to save up a fair bit in the, in the company's name and the company's coffers. 
And so because I'm generally risk adverse there, I wanted, and I also want to have like a good quality work environment where I don't want it to be like full of waves and riding the market and being great and tons of work and paying my employees and then laying off. And I want, I want my employees to feel secure in their position um, and comfortable. So I've kind of had a, um, I basically keep their salary um, set aside. Um, so I know, I know what I can afford and what I can't. And it also, it also helps me be a little more, I like, I figured out rates. Like I, I tried, I pay above market for the people that work for me um, based on what other firms in the area and other large cities pay. I tend to pay like 10 to 25% more um, and we do like a good bonus program and things like that to really incentivize and get the best people. Um, so to do that, I think in terms of a cash flow, I just, we've, we've had consistent work and I started with a good baseline that was comfortable to make those investments. And I don't take a huge salary myself. Um, I don't, um, I definitely take a comfortable salary, but I'm not trying, I'm not in this to, to make Boku bucks, but I, I'm definitely in this to have a comfortable lifestyle and I achieved that so far. And we've, we've been really fortunate to have a bunch of wonderful clients and repeat clients. And, um, in our, in our short tenure, we've had a lot of people come back and want, okay, you've done our main house, now do our beach house. Like, now you've done our beach house, now do our main house. Um, we're, we have one client that we just finished um, like two months ago and they decided they're moving and they want us to do their their new place so it's we're we're not hurting for for clients which is great and so that helps with cash flow and um, we base our rates and our salaries um, just slightly above market or decently above market and we just feel comfortable with it so what's the strategy behind that? And I think we align in that philosophy about running our business and what we pay our team. But, you know, on a personal level for your side, what's your strategy to say, we're going to pay you above market, right? We're going to pay you more than what our competitors are doing. I, I want to be the best. And in order to be the best, I know that I can't be um, like, I'm not saying I am the best. I'm saying I want to be the best. <laughs> no, so, I understand. It's the drive. It's a That's goal. what you want to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, in order to do that, my company is not just me. Uh, my, my, we, right now we're running 12 houses. We can't, I, I can't be on site every day and um, the point person for every single project. Um, so the people that are out there have to represent me. And if I want someone to be representing me with my experience and even more experience than me, I want them to be smarter than me. I want them to be better than me. I want them to be better at design than me. Um, I surround myself with people who have the experience that I may not personally have. And um, so for me, it's just very important that if I'm going to trust my company to someone, I want to trust it to, to someone I feel fully confident in and put, can put my name on. Um, so one way to ensure that aside from luck and aside from a good market is to, to financially incentivize people to come work for me. <laughs> Well, it also eliminates your turnover, right? Less retention. You can yeah. have people that believe in what Christian Dawes do and the, you know, the company itself. And when you pay them high, you know, they feel like they're vested in, right? They feel like they're part of the family, if you will. And I've seen, yeah. you know, it's funny because this is something that, you know, I've thought about a lot over the last, you know, eight years owning my company and, you know, thinking about the compensation for everyone. And, and what I've seen similar to you, Christian, is that if, if you want to be um, at the top, or more competitive, you know, at, at, at that higher echelon, you have to have the justification behind you. You have to have the right people. And we're not perfect. I mean, trust me, we, we have our issues like any company, but we're striving. And I know that today we're better than yesterday and so forth. We're moving that direction because we have the right people on board. We, you know, our, the train's headed the right way. So by having people that are more seasoned, if you will, and more experienced and have more of a drive, well, you're gonna have to pay more to keep them on. But the, but the benefit is, is that I can sit down in front of a client and say, so, you know, someone says, hey, Brad, I hear AFT is too expensive. You're too expensive for me. Well, let's break that down, right? You know, I have someone that's actually managing your project. You know, they're highly educated. You know, they've been doing this. And so there's there's a lot of reasons behind it than just, hey, you're going to pay me more just because the name, right? There's actually substance behind it. Yeah. No, I I agree. All, all, of, our, um, all of our employees right now have secondary degrees or, um, and most of that, except 
some of like a lot of them have had like previous similar to me previous career and life experiences that are now um, doing this having gone to to grad school and come back and so I, I definitely agree with that we're we want like if we're doing great work that's wonderful and I and I'm one to tell you you don't need an entire entire in, you don't need an interior design degree to be able to do a good interior design. That being said, everyone on our team, not myself, has an interior design or architecture degree because I, I recognize the value, even though I may um, like be speaking against my own personal interests when I say this, Like it is important. I personally don't have that and I wish I did. Um, I've done a lot to to learn and to fill in, like, and fill in those gaps that exist in my in my background. And I feel like I've come out on top and I now know a lot more and I've had um, more experience on the construction side, um, working for contractors in, in my back in my past. And um, I've like I have unique experiences that um, have really positioned me to do well in this in this world. But I'm, I'm going to not leave any stone unturned. So everyone I hire is going to be like every possible way, the best that I can get. So. <laughs> Well, no, that's a good strategy because the reality is, you know, there, there's a few elements to this. I mean, anyone that, you know, has really studied or worked with interior design. Yes, there is uh, there's an advantage to having the architecture studies, the interior design studies, because you can understand placement and flow and other things that are really valuable. Right. But at the same time, some people have the eye and some don't. Right. They're going to be able to see you know, selections that are going to work together and, and to set trends and set standards that, you know, either you have it or you don't. And, and additionally, you know, for you, Christian, where you bring the, the construction background, as you mentioned, you did flips, you know, when I've worked with designers that have a good understanding of my process, have a good understanding of construction, well, that's a win-win because there's a lot of things I deal with and it's really nice when the designer understands that and vice versa, right? I need to understand what the designer is up against and that creates that good collaboration, which you need in any project. We highly value that. Even we do a ton of trim work, um, basically on like every project. We, we have very little drywall exposed in our in our in the homes we do, and um, just like being able to communicate those designs, it's it's like full construction level. Everything's labeled. Everything is like molding profiles are all called out. Dimensions. It it, it I I don't want anything to be lost in in translation. So it's helpful. Definitely. Well, you're speaking my language now. When you have a lot of trim, you know, it can be very complicated, especially if it's stacked and, you know, all yeah. the different molding profiles. And I think I, I would imagine that's why, you know, one of the strategies I know that you've had is you wanted to bring on two architectural students, you know, to come in. They have architectural degrees. And so speak to that strategy as far as bringing on someone with that architectural background that's now going to coincide with my design firm. So we are really fortunate to have kind of a unique um, value proposition in our industry. So yeah, we do interior design and we do decoration and things like that. But one thing we've been able to really bring to market that is um, wonderful is we, we do a lot of basically all of the work an architect would do. So we're kind of in between a design build firm and an architect in that we like we are drawing the, the homes from conceptual elevations. We, we do floor plans, and then we, we basically work with architects to stamp and um, prepare engineered um, drawings for these homes. So that kind of like, that's my favorite part of the design process with a blank sheet of paper, walking a job site, seeing how the topography changes, figuring out solar issues and um directional elevations and trying to like build a home on what I think would be the most amazing positioning with the right kind of um, like shadowing and everything and just kind of design something from scratch. And it's allowed like a little bit of a, a, a fairly lucrative niche in our business, which is we do a lot of consulting on that, which is um, on projects we wouldn't even consider like our under our umbrella. So these are literally people just reach out and say, these are my plans. Um, I had this architect in my town produce it or this design build firm in my town produce it. And we want a beautiful home. What would you do? And then we just, it's a quick anywhere from two to three hours to maybe 10 to 12 hours. And we just look over their plans. We mark them all up. We redline them. We do overlays. We request the CAD plans from the architect and make actual changes to them and submit our versions and basically improve the um, the potential home that they that they're that they're going to get and that 
even if we're not doing the design, even if we're not picking all the FF&E, if we're not um, like doing anything with them, we have no contract. We're just doing like an hourly basis consulting. Um, it's a, f- a pretty substantial portion of our work is like the general architecture and design. So in order to be able to do that, I mean, I can, um, I can draw and I can use CAD and I can do all that, but to have someone who has an architectural background um, support those activities is, is crucial. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without having um, on staff these architectural designers. That's fascinating, Christian, because I think, you know, most companies are very successful. You know, you have a very targeted uh, scope. However, you're still diversified, right? You have ways to find supplemental income, which is super important to any company. And and the designers and architects and builders I speak with that have this ancillary income to help feed into the pot of the company is, is great because, I mean, there's ebbs and flow of our business. That's just reality. And so what you've done essentially is say, okay, we are, you know, our, our forte may be to design build your custom house or your remodel, whatever it may be. However, additionally, we have another service where, you know, as I, as you receive inquiries from Instagram or social media or website, wherever they may come, where you're going to sit there and consult and give them a proposal to consult, redraw, redesign their existing uh, floor plan. Yeah, we, we even have just without, it's all automated. I don't even see where it comes in. I just get a notice that it's been added to my calendar. We keep a, um, I, I try my best to keep a couple hours every day open um, for um, these kinds of consults. And I mean, honestly, we like on Instagram, you get so many hundreds of messages every day that are just like, what's your favorite white? What's paint? this paint what's, color? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of stuff. But so I, I'll answer anything I know off the top of my head. Like if I have a quick second, I try to respond to as many people as possible because I still enjoy interacting Um on social media, it's it, it's still fun and uh, like a relative like it's enjoyable to me. It's something I'm excited about on a daily basis in terms of design. So why not geek out with a couple hundred thousand random like fellow nerd house nerds? So um, that that's always fun. But like when it comes down to like people can literally just go onto my website and then they 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 can choose design services and they can either go directly and just book a time on the schedule on their own, pay a couple hundred dollars get 45 minutes or an hour of my time, depending on um, what it is. And we can just talk about anything. Um, a lot of people will call and be like, hey, I'm debating between natural stone or a porcelain stone lookalike. Or I'm like, is our cedar shingles worth it? Like, what are your thoughts on this? I'm looking at, like, I just did one yesterday that was a, a couple who were purchasing a, their family lake house from their parents. And they wanted to know if um, the budget they had was a reasonable one. And so I talked about how we budget and what that kind of includes and who they need to talk to. And maybe they don't need to go with an interior designer based on the budget. Maybe they go with a design build firm because they might be able to save a little money on that way. And with their budget, it would probably wouldn't include what the extra benefit they would be paying for. Um, and so like those kinds of things, it's more just like consulting. I don't mind talking to people. Um, I enjoy conversing and um, as my team would very quickly admit I probably explain things more than I should so that oftentimes is helpful to a lot of people who are embarking on what is a significant humongous monumental investment in their life which is building a new custom home um, or renovating their dream home or something like that so we just want to take it seriously I love that so how do you manage that from a software side you know are these people when you say that the appointments are set or they come in the consultation is this do you are you using an app or using software your website or someone in your company vetting those? Yeah, we, so one of the challenges with, with having a larger social media following and being pretty active on it is you get a lot of people reaching out for assistance. Um, like in terms of direct messages, I might get between 100 and 250 a day, sometimes more than that if it's a really big day and I can't possibly respond or keep track of all of those. So what we figured out early on is that um, a lot of people were just not the right fit for our business. A lot of people might come and either it's through a budgetary issue, a geographic issue, a timeline issue, something is going to prohibit us from working together. Um, so what we have is we have a pretty robust questionnaire on our, um, on our website. People come in and we get like 
several of those a day of client leads that come in and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. And then someone on our team, part of their job is to review that every day and get back to those people. And um, they typically will get one of a few responses. Like, here's a link that you can book a um, initial consult, which does come with a fee. Um, or we don't think a formal relationship is going to work for us. So if you'd like to do just like general consulting, here's another link with a different fee. And that's just hourly. If you have questions about paint colors or you're not sure if it's, if you can, if it's worth splurging on trade only furniture when you really like a pottery barn sofa, like those kinds of questions, we're not going to have a formal relationship. We're going to have, you can, I'll answer those and we'll communicate about that, but that's consulting. And then there's the other people who were just like, you know what, I don't think we can work together. This isn't really a consulting gig. Um, here, um, maybe you might want to look at this service or doing design through um, restoration hardware or pottery barn. That might be a, a better use of your funds and more in the line of what you're looking for. So we, we respond. And so even before I, I don't put my eyes on any of that, my team is, is well equipped to determine whether or not um, we're going to take on a job or even put our services out there for um, for the to be considered for a job. So right now, since COVID and 2020, we've previous to that, our jobs were all over the place and they still are all over the place, but I have a very strong desire to grow a local business. Um, and um, I want to be bigger in our area. So um, basically anyone who's coming to us with a project in the the DMV DC area that wants to work with us, I basically will talk to them right away because I want to grow that business, assuming it's like, like a real lead. And um, But yeah, that's all done online. They fill out the form on the website and then we use a service called Calendly where they can book and pay right there. And then if we end up working together, we just apply whatever they paid for that meeting to their first invoice and move on. This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove. For over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy-to-use technology, Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your near Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. That's a great strategy. I, I, I like the idea as far as trying to build your network in your immediate area because as a designer, you do have the flexibility where you can design all over the world essentially, right? I mean, yeah. you know, but there is value to your footprint, you know, having the name and reputation in your local area where you can, you know, work with local architects and builders and clientele where it's a little bit closer to home, even though a lot of us are working remotely via Zoom. Yeah, no. So it like the stuff that I don't like about our business, um, I, I really still do enjoy working remotely and it allows me to travel a lot. But there's the, a side of me that doesn't like being on an airplane a lot. Um, I mean, like even during COVID, I just had a three week stretch where I went to four different states over three weeks on one-way flights. And in those one-way flights, two of them were canceled, which means I had to rent separate like one-way cars. And it was just a bunch, that kind of like back of office stuff I don't want to deal with. And also I want to have a family and I want to grow my personal life and um, like put time and energy into that. And it's a lot easier when I'm local. Plus kind of going on to the like the house geek kind of thing. 
I still love walking a construction site. And when a client has to pay me an eight hour per diem to be in another city to work on their lot, it, on their job site, it doesn't happen as frequently if, as if I can get in my car and be there in 10 minutes and bill them for two hours of site time. Like that's, that's a little more palatable to most people than a three-day trip with a per diem eight-hour minimum and like airfare and hotel and rental car and all of that and meals and it ends up adding up. Well, and the tough thing too, I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, if any of us run our business like the airlines right now and lack of customer service where flights are just canceled unexpectedly, but you know, in their defense, I guess they are dealing with some other outside issues. But outside of that, when you look at this, Christian, as a business owner, yes, the more you travel, well, it's at the expense of something else, right? You can't be there, whether it be with family, whether it be running your business with your team. And and then you think of the, the health side, you know, whether it be exercise or good eating or whatever it may be, you Those know, all that gets time. jeopardized the more you're on the road. Yeah, it just, when any, anyone knows you're traveling, it's at an expense of so many other things. And so I understand the strategy to be local there. And, and explain, you know, because when you first start, Christian, you, you're, you're running everything. We all know as a business owner, if you're a one-man band, one-woman band, whatever it may be, I mean, you have a lot on your plate. And, and as that continues to grow, you can delegate. So how did you get to the point where you can train one, two, three people in your office to say, okay, when these leads come in, here's how we vet them. Here's how we know that it's a job appropriate for us. Because you'll know that inherently, you know, as you continue to change. But how do you share that vision? So... I'm very, like I mentioned earlier, I'm very vocal. I will over explain things. So um, we're about to move offices, but um, currently we work out of an office where we all work at conference, like a large conference table. And so we're literally there. So the first dozen times I just ask, so um, the one employee who handles all of our client lead and intake, I, I, I won't give her my answer until she gives me her recommendation. So she's reviewed the potential client profile intake form she has a thought on it she's done her due diligence like googling them looking at the property all that kind of stuff for anyone that she wants to bring to me as a potential option and she's like i think we should do this this is the category they would fall into i think this is good for this strategic reason we want to grow this locale or um this is in a community we've already worked in so we already have the, the receiver set up we already have our local workroom. we have our on on the ground feet um person that we can do we, we know the painter we're going to use we know all of that so it'll be less on less intake time and then i'll be like okay well those are all valid things but i don't want to do it because of x y and z and here's why you should have seen that um if you notice there's this this and this i don't think those are those are good indicators that we'll be in a good working relationship or she'll say i don't want to do this person because i don't think they have a realistic budget and then i'll go through and be like well um looking at what they said here i think they're just miss understanding what we meant by that and they're not including the construction aspect or they're not including furnishings and maybe we should talk to them and like at least follow up with an email to make sure that we're on the same page so it really is working on it together and i'm someone who works a lot so i will spend most of my day dealing with my employees um, and making sure we're all working together and doing the right thing. And then I'll be at my desk until 10 o'clock at night. And my husband, at least, is nice enough to bring down a plate of food at like 8 o'clock. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that being business owner. There's a lot to it. So how has that role changed as business owner, you know, over the years? And, and what are you focused on now as the owner? So um, I do tr like right now there's too much administrative stuff that I do. We've got someone who basically does the um, <clears throat> the office management side, so that's really helpful and I'd like them to kind of take on a more like senior role in that and take on more responsibility. We have an employee who comes in sometimes and does our controlling, so they do all the stuff that <clears throat> excuse me, that I don't like doing or I'm not good at. So that's the they handle the HR issues, they handle setting up everyone on insurance and making sure everyone's um, direct deposit is done properly, that they're getting their paychecks, they handle all that stuff. So those are all things that like I, when I first started, I was doing on my own and now I know I'm not good at it and I'm very aware of that. So I'm happy to, to pay someone to do that in my stead. So really it's about recognizing that time does cost money and right now we have more work than we have time so really if i can pay someone to do something that who is better at that task than i am i would like to do that um so really it's 
being supported and recognized when the investment is important and worthwhile. And who's running your social media? I am, which is why I'm barely <laughs> on it anymore. <laughs> I was going to um, ask how much time yeah. you spend on social media because it, it social media is, is so much work. It is. Um, I, so I used to be really active on it. Like I was on it for like hours every day and I was posting every day and I was just trying my best to respond to every single message, which was going against like going against my schedule in so many ways. Now I go on like, so like I'll sit, I'll put it into two categories, my like personal account, like private, like um, looking at cousins, babies and things like that. I'm not I'm going to exclude that, but like from the professional aspect and looking at houses and not just memes and family, I probably spend like an hour a day, 30 minutes a day, um, mm -hmm. where it used to be like four hours a day. And I don't let anyone do anything on my, I don't, no one has my passwords or no one goes on and responds to messages for me. Like if you're talking to someone on Instagram, on my account, you're literally talking to me. Um, and I, I do all my own posting. I like do my own liking comments, everything. So it's interesting, you know, I, although it is free essentially, right? Social media, but time is money. And Definitely. you know, there's a lot of time vested, right? To be successful on social media and there's engagement that's required and, analytics, you know, content that's going out there, you know, so how have you narrowed down that strategy to understand this is what the users want to see. This is, you know, what I should be posting, you know, how have you driven your traffic and, and grown your profile, you know, fairly quickly? Um, I think from the beginning, I just tried to be as analytical as, po as possible. There's no like getting lucky on Instagram. Yes. No one knows exactly what to do. Um, but it's not like you just fall into it. Um, Instagram is a business just like anything else, and their revenue is derived from um, community engagement and activity. So they want their client base, which is the millions of people who use Instagram, to want to use Instagram more. And how are we going to get people to, how are we going to support Instagram in their business interests so they support us and ours? Um, so for me, that's how can we drive engagement, thinking about it from an analytical standpoint. What are things people like to see? Is it... Um, and no one knows exactly the answer to these questions, but the questions that run through mind all, my mind all the time are, what do people want to read something long? Do they want to read something short? Do they want to see something that they're scrolling super quickly when they stop on an image? Is it going to be something that is like very noticeable, bold in their face? Or are they going to scroll through? So I think like, um, for me, I'll try to do, choose images that are like more saturated in color and not washed out and fewer interiors and just more things that in a quick scroll, people can instantaneously digest in that fraction of a second that their eyes are missing. I know when I'm, when I'm scrolling through, it's quick and half the time I don't even fully digest what I'm looking at. Um, but I want people to stop on my pictures and stop on my page and then want to see more. Um, I kind of think of it as a magazine too. Um, there's a lot of like, editing that goes into that and um, client management. You want them to subscribe, come back um, and do all that. So for me, um, this is probably something I, I, I've done a little bit of like speaking on this and um, it's definitely something that doesn't fit into a short podcast, but there are a lot of ways to approach it. Um, but no like quick, um, no quick like 100% answers to that. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you bring up some good points. I mean, the reality is with Instagram, I mean, I, I like the analogy of the magazine. You know, if you're at the dentist's office or somewhere and they have a magazine, if you're flipping through, you know, quickly, you know, through each page, there'll be one or two pages that stick out that make you stop. And really, essentially, that's what you're trying to achieve on Instagram is whether it be a beautiful exterior architecture, maybe before and after, maybe a carousel as you'll do. I notice, you know, that that has been a common strategy for you, Christian, is that you're finding something that's going to pop where people, it causes them as they're scrolling through the feed to stop and look. And, and Instagram is going to reward you for that, for the more time that people spend on your photo, either reading the paragraph, the background on it, swiping through the carousel, whatever it may be, that's what's going to attract those analytics and boost those. And there are some things that I know do well and I just don't have time for. I Like when I'm active on stories, I get tons of traffic and lots of people want to see that stuff. But I just don't, like in my day-to-day, -day, like 
every 15 minutes taking out my phone to film something is just not practical. I try to at least share something every day, but honestly, a lot of the time it's me sitting at my computer doing CAD or sketching something and I don't really have the ability to just like to film over what I'm doing and I don't really have someone on my team or the the support to film me. Plus I don't like, I think homes are interesting. I personally am not that interesting. Um, so to me, I sometimes have a little bit of a disconnect getting stories done, but then when, when I am in a mood or like a lot of times, like during the summer when I have more free time and we spend time down at a, a lake house that we have, just spending time there and sharing that kind of stuff, stories go through the roof and it's the amount of engagement there is really like generally untapped for me because I don't, um, I don't really cultivate that, but I do think that'd well, be a place where I could spend more time. Yeah. Stories are super valuable. I mean, and of course reels, you know, Instagram is going to reward you for using their content, but stories I I'm with you. They take a lot of time. They're a lot of work, you know, they're very valuable on the ROI, but it's, you know, to tag everyone, to put geolocate, you know, hashtags. I mean, and for each frame, it can be very cumbersome. So what other apps do you feel are beneficial? I mean, I know Instagram has been tr tremendously successful. Do you use any other platforms? Have you seen any other platforms benefit your business? No. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I, I mean, I don't really. So in general, I'm not a big social media person um, outside of the fact that I have a like a popular social media account. Um, so like, <laughs> I have a couple friends that love sending me TikTok videos and I will watch those and I think they're hilarious and I'll like get into a, a 30 minute deep dive into like random reels uh, or random videos of like teens from the Midwest doing like funny dances and I will really enjoy that. Um, but is it something I'm using for my business? No, I, I really don't. I, I don't even post on our Facebook page or do anything like that. It's really, um, we get our business from Instagram or word of mouth. Yeah. Which Instagram is a great platform. I think most of our listeners are using that. And if not, you know, hopefully there's some good insight you gave them here, you know, so what, looking back at your business now, you know, you've had this quick growth, quick escalation, you know, what do you wish you would have known, you know, leaving the legal profession, even some flips on the side to, if you were to start today. I'm pretty happy with our growth and how we've approached it. Every once in a while, I, I'll have a conversation um, at dinner with my husband about how I wish I would have um, like, like been less risk adverse, but I don't know what would have happened if I was, because um, I think I could have been even farther if I would have just jumped like, um, like right now we're, we're moving into a big office space and that's a big financial jump or hiring more people and things like that. Um, I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty, but we probably could have, I, I probably could have in, in year 2020, I probably could have been a lot less stressed and had more free time if I would have hired and we would definitely would have had the work to support even a larger team. And if I would have known that, I wish I would have. Um, but just as in the business in general, there are still things I learn every day. And um, I do like, I mean, even just to like how workrooms work and how vendors work and how manufacturers work, all those things. If I would have known at the very beginning, everything I know now, I'm sure there's tons of stuff I don't know now that I will learn over the next 20, 30 years. Um, but I, there's nothing really I can pinpoint at the moment. So, and, and as far as business development goes, are you handling all the business development for the firm? No, we don't really like there, like people will reach out and every once in a while we'll agree to things that boost our, um, like awareness of our brand, things like podcasts, things like uh, like monogram. I'm on their designer council and uh, like speaking at markets or speaking at conferences or um, traveling to go to seminars and things like that. When people, fortunately, because I have kind of a, a wider net of uh, in the media world, there's a lot of people who will offer things. And so I look at that and I read those and I respond to the ones that either seem fun or important or worthwhile um, or beneficial to our business. But we don't, we aren't, we don't advertise. We don't um, like, we don't do a lot of publication seeking, things like that. Um, like one of my girlfriends who's a designer we were at market and standing in line and she's like you you need to do a show house i said i've never done one and so like that was and she like went and walked me over to 
an editor and it's like, you guys should do, you guys should work together. And so we did a show house and things like that. Um, we definitely get press from and business from, but it's not something that's like a big active part of our business day to day. Yeah. I'm curious because, yeah, I mean, I, I know you've had a lot of opportunities present themselves. You've taken advantage of those Christian, you know, and of course, Instagram is really strong for you. So you're going to have a lot of lead generations. And, and I'm curious to your market. I know here in Scottsdale, for example, you know, there's a lot of uh, very talented designers and architects. So when I look at this, you know, it's really important for me to have a good relationship with them, you know, as we're, you know, that reciprocity referral business. And so I'm not sure if you're also, you know, working, I don't want to say pound the pavement, but also working, you know, in your local area with architects or builders to try to expand that in addition to an Instagram portfolio that's done really well for you. Yeah, so we definitely, um, at least locally, have started to work with architects and builders more than once. So, um, and I'm very quick to be very candid with potential clients that are coming to me. And because one of the things we do at the beginning, oftentimes we're hired before the contractor, before the builder and the architect are hired. So we are one part of that three-person team. And so we'll put together a list of those people and Honestly, the ones we've worked with that we really like are clearly going to be at the top of that list. And so um, I don't know if this happens truly. I don't know if there's true reciprocity, but I or, um, I don't know if they're also doing that for me as well. But they at least say they are. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the proof's yeah. in the pudding when the jobs come. But no, it's yeah. it's been amazing, Christian. I mean, you've done a phenomenal job. You know, I appreciate, you know, all the counsel and advice you've given. You know, it, it's very admirable to be super young, change careers, build this incredible business, you know, flourish, especially in your market. I mean, it, it's a true testament to the hard work behind it. And so what's upcoming and exciting for Christian Dot Design? Um, I mean, just continued growth. We're, we've got some really fun new bills, like from ground up, like empty lots to beautiful lake homes. Um, coming up, we've got like five or six um, right now that we're getting to do the full exterior design for. And I'm super excited about that. And we've also been photographing a lot of projects. Um, and this summer we plan to photograph a lot more. So just really lots of new content to share. And um, also one thing that's kind of on the cusp, we're, we're looking, we're Georgetown, which is this really cute little area in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. We're getting a build we're getting a building there so it has store frontage it could be retail it could be a lot of things um it definitely will house our office and a really great materials library but we may think of maybe doing some kind of diversification diversification and bringing on some kind of retail component as well that's interesting so in georgetown is that going to be your personal office then for the company yes yeah I love that. So, so my wife worked there. She worked for Trammell Crow, Crow Company in Georgetown right there. It's an amazing area. Love it. You know, been there visiting and, and we'll have to get back once that's open and check that out. Sounds good. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you, Christian? Um, Instagram, Christian.design. Well, thanks for making time for us today, Christian. Yeah, thank you. It was wonderful. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.